You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Thank you, team, for doing that. Good to worship together. I'm Johnny. I use he, him pronouns. I want to share a message with you that I hope encourages you, uplifts you. We're going to begin with reading some scripture. Donovan is our, is our host. I think he's going to help us find somebody who will read this text here, these 13 verses from 1 Corinthians 13. This is the entire chapter, in fact. So any volunteers, raise your hand to read it, and Donovan will give you the mic. Just make sure it's on. Who wants to do it? Tokia is always a faithful reader. Thank you, Tokia. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may be burned, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, kind is love. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant, nor does it act shamefully. It does not insist on its own way. It is not an irrescribable. Irascible. Irascible, excuse me. Or does not take account of the evil deed. It does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices with truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and as we prophesy, only in, our, only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then we will, face, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of all these is love. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 13. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. 2005 movie, uh, Wedding Crashers. Anyone ever seen it? No? Vince Vaughn, Owen Wilson, they're a lot skinnier than they are now. I don't, I don't recommend it. But there's a scene, it's, it's my favorite part of the movie, because Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson, they crash weddings, they go to weddings they're not invited to for some reason. That's why, exactly, apropos. Thank you, Jordan. I have hecklers. Um, <laughs> So, so uh, Vince Vaughn 
that's the actor's name. I don't know the character's name. They make a bet, and Owen Wilson make a bet. That the sister of the bride is going to read Colossians 3.12 or 1 Corinthians 13. Okay? Owen Wilson wins the bet, and Vince Vaughn has to pay him 20 bucks or something. The point is, this passage that we just read is so common that even in the most godless movies, it is referenced, okay? And I've given plenty of uh, homilies based on this text, depending on when the, if the couple decides it. How it works with me, if you ever want to get married, is you, whatever your maid of honor is going to read or whoever is going to read it, I usually base the text on that. Do you all have 1 Corinthians 13? No, you didn't. Megan said definitely not. O'Brien picked some unusual passages and then we went with that. It's used so frequently in the romantic way that it becomes a little passe, right? It loses its, its powerful meaning. It's like a Hallmark card. Or if you're me, it's the embroidery on your mother's, in your mother's bathroom, right? It's like a sign at Hobby Lobby. It's a meme your aunt sends you on Facebook Messenger. Do you have an aunt like this too? Sends you things on Facebook? So I want to get past that, right? Before we toast to the groom, to the groom, to the groom, to the bride, to the bride, to the bride. To your union. I'm going to keep going, Wes. To the hope that it provides before we raise our glass to freedom. I want to put this passage into a new context instead of one that you're so familiar with so that you might be satisfied. Before I go on, before I go on though, if you want Paul's take on marriage in Corinthians, go to chapter 7. Go back a few pages. He tells us, hey, if you want to be like me, don't have sex. But if you need to have sex, don't mess around. And then he offers the so-called sacrament of marriage as a mere concession. I don't think you want to do that passage at your wedding. But hey, that's just my opinion. You know, you can do do you, you know. And if I were you, I'd make sure that you're living in an apocalyptic moment. Because because we oh, that's a little, come on. Come on, the spike's going down. We're doing okay. You know, 8.8 positivity on Friday. Not that bad. Not that bad. Terrible, but not. It's better than horror. Anyway, because Paul thought the end of the world was coming soon, so that informed his view of marriage. Okay, so this isn't about marriage, and 1 Corinthians 7 even is like a tenuous text on marriage. Anyway, that's the passage on marriage from Corinthians 7, not 13. So let's go back to the text, shall we? Comes at the, this text comes at the heels of Paul's exhortation on unity in the church in chapter 12. He tells the Corinthians, the community there, which is divided by the strong and the weak, 
the rich, the strong, the poor, the weak, the higher status minority, the higher status minority with the lower status majority. Stay united because you're gifted from a common God, from a common spirit, from a common Lord for a common good. Corinth is divided by wealthy Corinthians who think they have secret special knowledge and spiritual powers. And Paul assures them in chapter 12 that their posture is dividing the community. That the only way to keep the community united is to elevate the weak, the lower class, the lower status people. He ends with this exhortation. But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. What's the greatest of gifts? What's the most excellent way? That's the subject of chapter 13. The preceding context is essential for the reading of this passage. So while it could be applied to marriage or your marriage... There is so much going on here, more going on here about the power of love, the humble power of love to overcome all of the glorious gifts that we think make us special or holier than others. Paul begins by listing out a variety of gifts that the Corinthians think make them special. Speaking in the language of angels. Speaking in tongues, we say, but the heavenly language having prophetic powers. Now, Paul says this. He says prophetic powers. Why? Because Paul values his prophetic power. So he's including himself, hopefully, in the humility. Enough faith to move mountains, giving away all of one's possessions, even offering your body as a martyr to be burned. It's a sacrifice. There's no advantage to any of those things without love. Without love, all these gifts are useless. To give you a little bit more, when he writes about speaking tongues in angels, he compares the speech to clanging cymbals or noisy gongs. He says to the Corinthians, here's another way you could say it, your high-toned speech has become like an empty echo of an actor's speech or the noise of frenzied pagan worship. Those ideas, the noisy gong or the clanging cymbal refer to those things. Empty, what the actors speak into, what the pagans use to worship. So he is not pulling punches. This means something. When he says love is not envious, it's a callback to earlier in the, in the letter where he calls the Corinthians envious and quarreling. The same is true when he names love as not boasting. Not envious, not boasting. The third item is arrogant. And Paul criticizes Corinth for its arrogance throughout the chapter. In some translations, he says, or rude. Rude's a little light. He means 
does not act shamefully, does not bring shame upon themselves or their family. Or in my family, you would say, does not bring haram on our family. It's a much stronger way, not just rude, the weight of shame, which many Easterners understand. Finally, he lists not insisting on its own way. Love does not insist on its own way. Another Corinthian characteristic. Love is not irascible or irritable or quick to anger. It doesn't hold a record of wrong. A contrast between the holy people of Corinth who hold a record of wrong against everybody else. Paul's list ends with this idea that love does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices with the truth. Rejoicing with God's truth, God's justice, God's way of living in life. This is essential too because we often think, we often think that love, that the love that we want is one that rejoices at injustice or at least ignores it. Love does not rejoice at injustice. It doesn't ignore it. That's not love. Love doesn't ignore injustice. It doesn't sideline injustice. It stands with the truth. It rejoices with the truth. That's love. Love without truth is false. It's a false love. There's no such thing as truth without love. Love celebrates with justice. Love is anti-racist. Love is LGBTQ inclusive. It rejoices with the truth. Okay? Anti-racism is about loving. Racism is about hating. Anti-racism is about loving. Love rejoices with the truth. It does not rejoice with injustice. Okay? Anti-racism is not loveless. Too often we hear that. That loving and including means not loving. This is a Corinthian problem. Paul is saying love unites you in what didn't, what disrupted the Corinthian church, what kept them apart was a lack of love from the people who thought they were, that they were in charge. And it came at the expense of people they dishonored. And elevating those people that are dishonored is love. It's not loveless. It's not anti-love. And I'm emphasizing this because so often we hear that. Or at least I do. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. I separated these paragraphs out so you could see the the poetry here. Love is patient. And I said kind is love in the translation, right? Um, it's, a, it's, a, 
It's a chiism, right? Because we usually get love is patient, love is kind. No, it's not. It's supposed to have more po a poetic meter to it. So it crosses the way the Greek works. We're not going to do this right now. I'm just saying there's a poetry to it. Then it has this big list of things love isn't. Love isn't envious, boastful, arrogant. It's not shameful. It does not insist on its own way. And he's saying what it isn't. And every time he's saying what it isn't, he's talking about what Corinth is. Okay, Corinth is envious, boastful, arrogant. It acts shamefully. It insists on its own way. It is irritable, irascible. It takes account of evil. It rejoices with injustice. So he's saying, this is you. Love is the antithesis to what you are doing. And because it follows the chapter 12. 12 through 14 should be read together. And we'll do 14 next week, even though the lectionary skips 14 for some reason. That's because mainliners don't speak in tongues. So, so, so we're doing it. Anyway, and then he gets to the, uh, fr the, the, the part of the poem where love is everything. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's what you, that's Paul's calling the Corinthian church to unity. Despite their suffering. No, he's calling them to long suffering. Instead of dividing one another up in enmity and hatred. Love never ends, he says. He's echoing the Old Testament writers that say the love of God endures forever. Prophecies end. Why does he say prophecies? Because he, think, he, he values his own prophetic word. Tongues cease because the rich in Corinth think their special language makes them holy. Knowledge ends. They also think their knowledge makes them holy. These are the things that the strong in Corinth value. And then he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. He's telling the Corinthians, those things that you think are valuable are like what children value. Those things that you think are valuable demonstrate your immaturity. The strong in Corinth are acting like children. Love is what will not end, even when childish things do end. At love's completion, we will see face to face. We will know fully. Love isn't complete. Yet, it's not done yet. We aren't fully human yet. We haven't made it yet. We're still working on it, expressing the fullness of who we are as love. The gospel can be summarized by love. We're still striving for it. None of this that we do completes it. And that's why I would caution against hoping that your marriage completes you or completes love. We're not there yet. We only see through a glass darkly. It's from the King James Version. We only see through a glass darkly. 
That's right. We can expect conflict. We can expect betrayal. We can expect complication. It's not simple. It's difficult. Life isn't that way. We shouldn't bear responsibility for holding it all together. It falls apart. It doesn't work out. There's conflict. We only see through a mirror dimly lit. But faith and hope and love abide. Faith and hope won't abide into eternity because the beauty of the age to come is that faith and hope are completed. Love is the greatest of them. Paul says that faith and hope will continue because they supersede any other giftedness. But hope and faith are disciplines that love fulfills. So they will go away too, and love is the greatest of these. So keep, keep your faith. Hold on to your hope for the sake of love. Love is the most important thing that holds us together. Love unites us and keeps us together. We owe nothing to one another but love. The radical love is what will keep the Corinthian church together. That's what holds us together in common. This, this uh, tranquil poem from Paul is about love that overcomes division, that overcomes hatred. And genuine tension in this community. And now our question is, what do we do with it? What do we do now? What do we do with the, what, what divides us up? What plagues our church? What plagues the church? And what does it mean to overcome it? It's easy to look at other churches and say they do this, they do that. You know, I tweet about the Anglican church in North America too frequently. I'm not an Anglican. So it's easy to point fingers, especially at ACNA. But let's talk about us. What would Paul say about our body? What would be the things that love is the antithesis to when it comes to us? In Circle of Hope, yes, at Frankfurt Ave, too. Are we envious? Are we boastful? Are we arrogant? Do we act shamefully or rude? Do we insist on our own way? Are we quick to be irritable, irascible is the word I use, borrowing from brother David Bentley Hart, by the way, that's where that one came from. Do we, take, do we keep a record of evil do, deeds? Do we rejoice in injustice? What, what is it? What's Paul saying to us? What's God saying to us? How are we antithetical to love? We need a pro, this is Paul's writing a prophecy, which is why he, and he keeps humbling, he keeps trying to humble himself because he's mentioning prophecy repeatedly, because prophecy is what he brings. What are the things about us? We're going to think, I want us to think about that genuinely, tonight and into the future, because we're about to enter into a season of mapping, 
in our cells in the next two weeks where we're going to listen to each other in listening circles. And let's, let's actually consider. If love is the gospel, how are we antithetical to it? How do we resist it? What should we do? Ask God to open our hearts to who we, who we need to be next, how we need to grow as a body, right? It's important for us to have the humility to understand that and to know that we may not have it all together. Our church may not, our congregation may not, and we may not, right? Where does God want us to go? How do we open our eyes? Paul's writing a forceful message to the people dividing the Corinthian church. It's true. He's talking to the strong, to the rich, and the community. We know that because we have the advantage of understanding it from a historical context. But let's not be so sure that we aren't the strong now. Any of us. And I mean that, you know, even as a brown pastor or whatever. You know, what am I bringing? Where do I keep a record of wrong? Where do I boast? Where do I insist on my own way? That's the question we should be asking. What's Paul, what's God asking us to let go of and to change, right? It's hard to do that. We have an opportunity to learn from this, you know, young church in Corinth, very young, about what, where we need to go and what we need to do. We need to imagine what's next. That's what we're working on. And the law of Christ is love. That's what Paul's saying. Love believes our th- believes. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Some translations say, love is all things. Take that spirit with you as we discern together. And then tonight, too, I hope that we can actually have some meaningful talk back about what God has put in our heart. What do you want to say back? Let's, let's pray and then do that, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for your presence and for your faithfulness, for being yourself love so that we might follow with you. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.